Well, good morning to those who are watching online, those who are watching by television, those who are at our Mill Creek campus, and those, of course, at our Sugarloaf campus. Thanks for being a part of the service today. As always, I'm so excited about the message. In 2019, U.S. News looked at 85 different attributes of different countries around the world, from heritage to adventure, and they determined that the number one best country in the world was Switzerland. Now, um, I've been to Switzerland several times, and it's a beautiful country. And I mean, no disrespect to the Swiss, but I respectfully disagree with that assessment. I, in fact, I don't even think it's even close. Um, I believe that we live in the greatest country in the world. We have the world's largest economy. We have the world's strongest military. We are the world's richest country. We have the world's best transportation system. And those are just a few of the things that we lead in. Now, before some of you kind of go, oh, boy, here we go with this nationalistic, jingoistic, you know, arrogant American stuff, let me stop you and let me just kind of turn something around because before we get a big head, there's another first-place trophy that we hold. We are the most wasteful country in the world. We produce more garbage per capita than any other nation. Even though we have 4% of the world's population, we produce 12% of the world's waste and garbage. The average American is responsible for 1,700 pounds of garbage a year. And that's not just trash talk. Okay? That's a joke. Okay, all right? My grandkids produce that in a week. Think about that. Average American, we produce 1,700 pounds pounds of garbage a year. It gets worse. We waste more food than any other nation in the world. When you take into account all the food that homes and restaurants and various companies and corporations produce, listen to this. We throw away 40% of our food. Now, I want you to imagine you go to the grocery store this afternoon after church is over and you buy two bags of groceries. In effect, what we do is we walk out of that grocery store, take one bag of groceries, and pour almost all of it on the ground. It will never go to feed a homeless person. It will never go to feed a child stuck in poverty. It's just wasted. The richest country in the world wastes the most money. The average American, the average, if you're just average, we spend $18,000 a year on stuff that nobody needs. You don't need it. I don't need it. He doesn't need it. She doesn't need it. Nobody needs it. $18,000. But I believe there's a far greater waste going on, not just in America, but around the world that breaks the heart of God more than any other type of waste. And I think the one thing that just breaks God's heart is a wasted life. Amen. It's just life is so precious. Life is so wonderful. Life is so brief. Life is so short. And it's too precious to waste. And let me tell you, if you waste food, you can buy more food. If you waste money, you can make more money. But if you waste your life, you never get it back. Amen. It's just a wasted life. Right. And I cannot think of a greater tragedy that can happen to anybody than to take their last breath and when they wake up in eternity, realize all of a sudden, I wasted my 
life. I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me. Today, I hope this will bless you because I'm going to share with you one principle, not two, not three, not four. I'm going to share with you one principle straight from the Word of God on how to make sure that you don't just waste, not waste your life, but you give to your life and get out of your life the one surefire way to make sure that you achieve the potential of your life and live your life to the fullest. It's not hard. It comes right out of God's Word. And I will guarantee you, you will not waste your life if you will keep this one principle. Here it is. Keep your eyes on the prize. That's it. Not eight rules, not 12 rules, not 15 rules, just one thing. Keep your eyes on the prize. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Life is like a race. From the time you're born till the time you die, you are running a race. And the one goal in every race is to cross the finish line. It doesn't matter what else you do in a race. You know this. It doesn't matter what else you do. It doesn't matter how hard you run. It doesn't matter how fast you run. It doesn't matter how far you run. If you don't cross the finish line, you don't win. And in life, the key to winning is very simple. Here it is. You must have the right goal, and then you got to keep your eye on that goal. That's all you got to do. Have the right goal and keep your eye on that goal. I love philosophy. I love to read philosophy. And the greatest, deepest thinking philosopher I've ever read is Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra said, be careful if you don't know where you're going, you might not get there. That's a profound statement. Because I, in fact, I want to kind of tweak what Yogi said. I want to say it this way. Be careful that you're headed to the right goal. Because if you're really headed to the wrong goal, you'd be better off not getting there. So keep your eyes on the goal and, and, and make sure it's the right goal. I look back at my own life. And the things that are most meaningful to me, the things I take the most joy in are the goals that I set in my own life that, that I realize were helping me achieve the purpose that God put me here for. And let me tell you, goals are great things. Goals give you direction. Goals give you drive. Goals give you determination and the desire to achieve and to produce and to be better. I'm, I'm all for goal setting. J.C. Penney, who when he dives one of the richest men in the world, J.C. Penney said this, he said, give me a stock clerk with a goal, and I will give you a man who will make history. Give me a man without a goal, and I'll give you a stock clerk. That's true. We're in a series, if you're a visitor today or a guest of ours, we're in a series in the book of Philippians we're calling Joyride. And one of the surefire ways you can get joy in the life that you're living is to set God-given goals and then live your life every day, giving your life to reaching those goals. And there was a man by the name of Paul who gives us a formula on exactly how to do that. And he gives us three simple steps that I promise you, you can use at the beginning of every year, every month, every week, and every day to make that year, that month, that week, and that day the best year, the best month, the best week, and the best day of your entire life life. They are so simple. They are so easy, and they help you keep your eyes 
on the prize. If you have a discipleship booklet, it's on page 48 in your booklet. Or if you have a Bible, we're in the book of Philippians chapter 3. And Paul says, hey, you don't want to waste your life? No, I don't. You want to get the biggest bang for your buck? Yes, I do. Then he says there are three things you got to do every single day if you're going to keep your eyes on the prize. And I promise you, one of these three are really going to hit home with some of you this morning. You ready? Here we go. Number one, Paul says, you've got to forget what is behind you. If you're going to get to where you need to go in life, you've got to forget what is behind you. Now, let, let me just say this. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know how much you've achieved. You may think, man, I've kind of done what I need to do, and I've kind of gotten what I need to get. But let me just say this. You will never achieve all of your goals. One of the, thing, one of the hard things about growing older is when you finally realize, you know, there's some things I wanted to do. I'm not going to be able to do them. I, I don't have enough runway. My time is too short. The clock's running out. You will never achieve all the goals that you wanted to. But let me just tell you this. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you've quote unquote retired. And by the way, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But I don't care if you quote unquote unquote retired. You should always have goals you've not achieved. There are still things in my life I've not been able to do that I want to do. So Paul begins by saying this. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. In other words, he says, I've not yet arrived. I'm not, I know some, some people think I'm, I'm a pretty big shot, but I'm not. Or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, every time I read that about Paul, I kind of shake my head and I want to say to myself, you don't really mean that. When you say, Paul, you've not already obtained all this, you've, you, you, know, you haven't already arrived at your goal, I want to say, wait a minute. Dude, when you wrote that, you were considered the world's greatest theologian. You were considered the world's greatest church planner. You were considered the world's greatest missionary. Some would have said you were the world's greatest Christian. And yet Paul says, that may be true, but I don't have it all together. There are still a lot of places I want to go. There are still a lot of things I want to do. There are still a lot of goals I want to reach. And though Paul had reached a lot of his potential, he has not reached all of his potential. So let me give you some good news. I don't care where you are in your life. As long as you are drawing a breath, there will always be more lessons to learn. There will always be more principles to apply. There will always be more room to grow. However, Paul said, the first step you've got to take in your life, if you want to move forward, you have got to quit looking backward. So he says this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, he says, forgetting what is behind. Now, I'm going to touch some nerves right now. Too many people never get to where they need to go today. And too many people will never get to where they need to go tomorrow because they're still living in yesterday. The, 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 you know, now let me just say this. Do you, do you need to learn from your past? Sure. Do you need to process the events of the past and kind of find out where you missed it or how you can be better? Yes, but you can't live there. You can't stay there. The truth is, you can't realize where you're going until you release where you've been. It's just an impossibility. No runner that I've ever known has ever run a race looking backwards. You can't do it. 
If you're going to run, you've got to be looking forward. You cannot sail the ship of your life into the seas of the future if your anchor is stuck in the mud of the past. You can't run forward if you're looking backwards. And by the way, it's easy to do that. Let, 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 me, let me be very transparent. I've been a pastor. This, I just, this past December was my 43rd year of being a pastor. I mean, I started pastoring when I was three. But... Seriously, 43 years I was a pastor. Let me tell you something. I see Scott back there, my buddy. Scott, there's a lot of things I wish I could do over as a pastor. A lot. Boy, did I mess up. Boy, did I make some mistakes. Dear Lord, did I make some mistakes. Man, I wish I could, I could go back knowing now what I knew then. Two of my sons attend our church. One's listening to me right now. Boy, there's a lot of things I wish I could do over as a dad. Two months, well, about six weeks from now, we'll celebrate 44 years together. I love her more than I've ever loved her, but boy, honey, I wish there were things I could do over again as a husband. There are things I've said. Man, I wish I could take them back. There are some things I've done. I wish I could undo them. There are things I didn't do that I wish I had done. But I'm not going to be any good to you, me, or anybody else if I say stuck to where I was. Winston Churchill said it best. He said, if the past quarrels with the present, there can be no future. We must learn to accept the past as unalterable and move on. Now, don't misunderstand what that word forget means because I know what some of you are thinking right now, and I agree with you. I know some of you say, man, you're saying, are you kidding me? You don't even know what my past is. You don't know how bad I've hurt somebody. You don't know how much I've blown it. You don't know how much I've screwed up and how much I messed up. There is no way I can totally erase that. You're right. That's not what I'm saying. I get it. I understand it. What that word forget literally means is not to be influenced by it, not to be affected by it. Let me give you an example. God says in the book of Isaiah, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden God gets spiritual amnesia. I mean, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden God develops a bad memory. What God means is, yeah, I know what you did in the past. I know how you messed up. I know how you wish you could do things over. I know all the regrets you have. But here's what God says. I am not going to allow that to affect our relationship in the present. And I'm not going to allow that to affect our fellowship in the future. I read about a guy that went to see his doctor. He'd been going to his doctor for a long time. and They were big friends, good buddies. And he walked in, the doctor was telling me, man, he's, you know, he's very concerned. He said, John, what's wrong? He said, Doc, he said, you got to help me. I I'm worried sick. He said, what's the matter? He said, I I'm suffering from amnesia. What do you think I ought to do about it? The doctor patted him on the shoulder and said, man, just go home and forget about it. <laughs> now, there's some things we need to forget about. Can I just tell you two things we need to forget? 
One I've already mentioned. We need to forget our past failures, our past mistakes. Okay, there are things you didn't do you wish you'd have done. I get it. Okay, there are things you did that you wish you had not done and things you didn't do you wish you had. I, I get it. Okay, look, confess them. Repent of them. Learn from them. Make amends for them, but then move on. Don't stay stuck in the mire and the quicksand of the past. But I think there are some of you, you got a bigger problem. It's not that you haven't forgotten your past failures. Some of us need to forget our past successes. Because it doesn't matter how well you did yesterday. Today's another day. Us preachers, we preachers have a saying, Sunday's coming. You know what I know about you? Those of you here last week, I hope you enjoyed the sermon. I know what you're saying. I remember what you preached. That's okay, neither do I. But I know some of you were touched. I got a lot of emails and texts. And yo, man, that was, I had one lady tell me, she, I've been her pastor since she was a little girl. She's in probably her mid late 30s. She told me the other day, I was at the dentist's office. She said, I believe last Sunday is the greatest sermon I've ever heard you preach. And I appreciate that. And that's all well and that's all good. But you know what? I better bring it today. If I'd gotten up here today and said, you know what? Last Sunday's sermon was so good, we're going to watch a rerun. You wouldn't be too happy about that. You didn't come for last Sunday. You came for today. I've got to forget past victories. I've got to get over that. You know, yesterday's victory doesn't mean anything for today's game. Three of the saddest words I hear people say, and I've heard them say it all my ministry. Can I tell you the three saddest words is when people say this. I used to. I used to regularly attend worship. I used to serve in my church. I used to go on mission trips. I used to share my faith. I used to support my church financially. I used to read my Bible. I used to spend time with the Lord in prayer. I used to do all those things. And you know what a used up person is? A used up person is a person who says, I used to. And what we must all learn is this, we learn from the past, we live in the present, but we look to the future. And that's exactly what Paul said. He says, which leads, by the way, to the next step. If you want to keep your eyes on the prize, if you want to make every day count maximal, you want to get the biggest bang for your buck, Paul says, okay, number one, you've got to forget what is behind you. Then he says, number two, you've got to focus on what is before you. You've got to focus on what is before you. Now, Paul has put his past where it belongs in the rearview mirror. He has put his present where it belongs. It belongs on the windshield. And then Paul gives us the secret to what we've got to do every day if we're going to get the most out of that day, and that day is going to get the most out of us. So listen to what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but, now listen to these four words. This is big. One thing I do. Two words. Paul says, hey, you want to be ordinary or you want to be super ordinary? You want to be average or you want to be way above average? Paul says, okay, two words make all the difference. Those two words are one thing. One thing. Have you ever thought about how important those two words are in the Bible? You ever thought about it? 
You may remember this story. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And he asked the greatest question anybody could ever ask. Because if there's a God, and if there's a heaven, then the most important question anybody will ever ask is, how can I make sure I get there? How how can I make sure this is not the end for me? So this man comes to Jesus, this young guy, very sincere, very honest. And he says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Give the guy kudos. Give him a standing ovation. Buddy, you have asked the right question. Well, before he can even answer the question, Jesus, that is, the man says, oh, by the way, I've I've kept the commandments. I've kept that commandment, this commandment, that commandment, this commandment, that commandment. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, you've done well, but, and then Jesus said four words. Remember what he said? One thing you lack. It's one thing. Jesus loved to hang out at a little place called Bethany. I've been to Bethany many times. There was a family there named Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and he loved to hang out. That was kind of his his go-to family. Whenever Jesus wanted to get away from everything, he knew that was the one place he could go and let his hair down, he could take his sandals off, and he could just chill. So Luke tells the story one time that Jesus is in the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and Martha was in the kitchen cooking. Biscuits, gravy, eggs. No, no bacon, they're Jewish. So she's fixing breakfast. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is teaching a Bible lesson, and she and Lazarus, are, they're, they're soaking it up. Martha gets ticked off. She comes into the living room. She says, Mary, get up off of your rear end and get in here in this kitchen and help me cook. You remember what Jesus said to, Mary, to, to Martha? He said, Martha, one thing is necessary. It always comes back to one thing. The greatest king who ever lived, David, a man after God's own heart. A man who could have asked God for anything he wanted, and God would have given it to him. Do you know what David asked of God? Do you know what David said is the one thing he wanted to make sure God would give him? Listen to this. David said, one thing I ask from the Lord. Not two, not three, not five, not ten. Lord, I just want one thing. This only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his We've, got, we've got a mission, uh, adopted a mission statement uh, in our church. We said to our church, we want to build everything we do around just one thing, just one, just one. Point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. That's all, that's, that's it. Point people to Jesus, inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. If you could come to our church regularly, you know I'm going to do this at the end of every service. I will always ask you one question. You know what it is, right? Who is your one? Yeah, not your two. Not your three, not your eight, not your ten. I just say, who is your one? And you say, well, why is one thing such a big, big deal? Because anybody knows the secret to power is concentration. You can take a swamp. You can take a bog. But if you can concentrate, if you can channel that swamp in one direction into a river that's flowing... It it can become a tremendous source of electric energy. Decades ago, we discovered something about light. If you can take the power of just light and concentrate that power in such a way it becomes a laser beam, you can cut through steel. It's just concentration. So the point of the matter is, the key to making sure that you're making a difference and the key to make sure that your life is really counting 
is you got to set at least one goal. However, listen now, it has to be the right goal. It has to be the right one. I read the other day about a, a football coach, and he wanted his six-year-old boy to play football. So he wanted, he thought, I'm going to teach my little boy, six years old, I want him to be a place kicker. That's what I want him to do. You know, you, don't, you can't get hurt to get a place kicker. And, you know, a good way to play football. He says, I'm going to teach my kid to be a place kicker. So he brought his kid out into the front yard, and he had a football. He put his kid to his side, and he said, now, son, put that ball down, had that ball on his finger, and he said, son, when I nod my head, you kick it. And that's how he lost his two front teeth. See, you got to have the right goal. You got to make sure you're going in the right direction. I remember when I was a kid, I lived in Tampa, Florida, and it was back in the day, you know, they've now gone defunct, but it was back when the Ringling Brothers Circus would come to town. I was four years old, maybe close to five years old, and I still remember my mom and dad took me and my two brothers, and we went to Ringling, Barnum, and Bailey's Circus. It was tremendous. You know, certain things you stick in your mind. I can still remember the cage with a lion in it. And I can still remember this guy getting into that cage. And all he had was a whip and a stool. That's all he had was a whip and a stool. I, even though I'm only four or five years old, I'm thinking, you know, this guy, he's got some room to run upstairs unfurnished. This is just not the way you ought to be doing this. And that guy goes into this cage with that lion, and all he has is a whip and a stool. And boy, that, that lion is, he's snarling. He's, you know, you know go tiger. Uh, you know, he's, he's snarling. That was a Coach O joke. So he's, he's, he's snarling and all this kind of and that guy, that, that lion tamer, he takes this stool and he just points it to the lion. Just points it at the lion. And when he pointed that stool at the lion, that lion got as quiet as a mouse. His eyes almost glazed over. He didn't even move. Now, later on, I learned the secret. You know what the secret is, right? Because that stool has four legs, the lion is trying to focus on all four legs at the same time. And when he does that, he just gets paralyzed. He can't do anything. Because he's not looking at just one thing. God has put all of us on this planet to focus on one thing and one thing only. And you can do more than one thing. You can do more than one thing. But you can only focus on one thing if you want to be what God wants you to be. So now we get to the question. So what was the one thing Paul was seeking? What was that one thing? Well, he tells us. I press on toward the goal. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, the Greek word there for goal is the word scopus. We get the word telescope from that. It, it literally means to fix your eyes on a very small target. Paul said, I, I, I get up every day and I focus like that laser beam I talked about. I'm focusing like a laser beam on this one single thing, this one prize. Well, what was that? Well, he says, it's, it's what God has called me heavenward to do. Well, well what is that? Well, it's easy. God has called every one of us to accomplish a primary goal, one primary goal. And if you will accomplish this one goal in your life on a daily basis, let me tell you what will happen. You will maximize your influence in your home, in your family, in your business, with your friends, in your neighborhood, and in every other area of your life. This is the one thing Paul says we've got to see. This is the goal. This is the prize. Here it is. To know God and glorify Him. Amen. That's the goal. To know God 
and to glorify him. No matter what other goals you achieve in life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many ladders you climb. It doesn't matter how high you climb them. If you lead this life and you don't know God, if you lead this life and you did not live for the glory of God in everything you did and everything you were, your life was a waste. And you achieved the wrong purpose. And you reached the wrong goal. That means that every waking moment, that every day you have on this earth, you're not to dwell on the past. You're not to dread the future. You devote yourself to the present. And you just say every day when you get out of your bed, no matter what else I do today, Lord, I'm going to know you. I'm going to glorify you. And when people talk to me, I want them to know I know you. When people watch how I live, I want them to see your glory in my life. That's what you've got to do. Forget what is behind you. Focus on what is before you. And then Paul said, when you do that, then you can face what is beyond you. Then you can face what is beyond you. Paul uses the word twice in this passage to tell us how to face the future. Now remember, when Paul wrote these words, he wasn't in the beach you know, in Hawaii he wasn't on a Disney cruise. He wasn't in a penthouse making a million dollars a year as a CEO of a big company. When Paul wrote these words, he was in prison. Right. I mean, he didn't even know what kind of future he had if he even had one. He didn't even know if there would be a tomorrow for him. But here's what he says. If there is a tomorrow for me, if there is, no matter what my circumstances, I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So he repeats in verse 14, I press on, I love that word, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. That word for press on means to relentless, relentlessly pursue. You don't give up. Because remember I told you, life is like a race. One of the reasons why I love to read the Apostle Paul, it's pretty obvious when you read Paul, he loved sports. He loved athletics. I love sports. He was probably athletic. I, I was pretty athletic when I was growing up. And, and I've, I've always loved sports. I've always loved athletics. And so here's what Paul is saying. No matter how dark tomorrow may look, no matter how dire my circumstances may be, no matter how discouraging things may appear, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep heading toward that finish line. I'm going to keep going, going toward that goal. I will not be deterred. I will not be detoured. I will not be distracted. I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize of knowing God and glorifying Him until I hit the finish line of my life. Now, let me just say something here, and I don't mean to offend anybody. I don't mean to make you feel guilty or anything like that at all. And I want to be very careful how I say what I'm about to say, but this is something that we all face sooner or later. I'll be facing it, you know, one of these days. And so I just want to say a word here because I've got to say it. I meet too many people, and they're kind of past mid-age. And I'll say to them, so what are you thinking about? What do, what do you want to do with your future? And they say four words. I want to retire. That's it? I want to retire. 
What they mean by that is it's kind of the way we sugarcoat to say, yeah, you know what I want to do? I want to quit and do nothing. Or they'll say it like this. I want to finally be able to do what I want to do. Read my lips. We ought to be spending every day doing what we want to do. Because what we want to do is what God wants us to do. So I spend every day of my life doing what I want to do. I don't have to retire to do what I want to do. And see, for most people, and I'm just being honest, their relationship with God never shows up in their retirement plan. Now, I want to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should never retire from being actively involved in your church. You should never, ever retire from being involved in a small group. You should never, ever retire from being discipled and discipling other people. You should never, ever retire from serving your church some way, somehow. You should never, ever retire from being sent to the neighbors and being sent to the nations. Paul said, in effect here, I am not going to retire. I may, be, I may retool, but I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to die sitting and soaking. I'm going to die standing and serving. So that brings me to kind of the climax of the message. Here's my question to you, to all of us. We don't know how much life we're going to have left, right? We don't know. You, you guys may have seen the, the uh, drummer, the, the famous drummer that just died. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't into that stuff, but, but, you know, he died, right? Guy's my age. I read that more and more. I mean, I, I mean, it wakes me up. We don't know when life's going to end. We don't know when the spot's going to be on the lung. We don't know when the drunk driver's going to. We don't know. So my question is real simple. What one thing are you going to focus on the rest of your life? What one thing are you going to focus on? I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of every day, can I be, let's just be honest. Every single day, we're going to focus on one of two things. What we want or what God wants. Not, not hard to figure that out. We're going to focus on what we want or what God wants. And too many people spend their life making things instead of making things count. So, here's my question. Get real practical. What would it mean for you if today you made a decision? Today, beginning today, I'm going to focus my life on this one thing. I'm going to focus my life. I'm going to make it the drive of my life, the desire of my life, the determination of my life. I'm going to know God. Know God more than I've ever known him. More God better than I knew him yesterday and less than I know him tomorrow. I'm going to know God and I'm going to glorify him. What would that mean? Can I tell you what for some of you? For some of you, it may mean for the first time in your life, you're going to read this book every day. Or for some of you, it may mean, I'm not going to read it every day. I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm going to read the whole thing. One of my goals I've had, I have it this year. I'm reading my Bible through this year. Not because I'm a pastor. I did it way before I became a pastor. Because I know if I want to know God, I've got to read this book. And I know if I want to glorify God, he'll tell me how to do it. So I'm going to do that. For some of you, here's what it would mean for you when you get your eyes on the prize. You're going to start managing your money God's way. You're going to quit robbing God. You're going to start being faithful in investing in God's work. For some of you, 
You're going to wake up and say, you know, God didn't put me here to be served. God put me here to serve. I'm going to find a way to serve. I'm going to find a place to serve God's church and God's people. For some of you, it would mean I'm no longer going to practice Lone Ranger Christianity. I'm going to get involved in a group, a life group, a community group, a small group where I can help others grow and they can help me grow. For some of you, it's going to mean, you know what? I'm going to get serious about this one business you keep talking about. I'm going to write down a name of a one. I'm going to have a one in my life. And I'm going to ask God this year to use me to bring that one to a saving knowledge of Christ. That You're going to say, this is the prize. This is what I'm going for. So I want to close with this. Y'all been great. Last week, uh, I, my book's coming out, and I'll talk about my book. And I'm so excited. My new book's coming out on character. Character still counts. It's coming out next, uh, next month. So <clears throat> I had to drive downtown to Atlanta Thursday and Friday to do the audio version of my book. You know what the difference is between sitting in a soundproof booth and reading every word of something you've written all day for seven hours and you can't miss anything because you've got to go back and do it again? Do you know what the difference is between that and a Chinese water torture? Nothing. <laughs> do you know what I had to experience? What some of you have to experience every Monday. I had to experience that traffic. Going and coming. And I thought to myself, most of these people don't realize God did not put us here to run the rat race. God put us here to run the real race. Amen. And the real race is his race. Come on now. And the real prize is his prize. And he didn't put us here to run for the approval of this world. He put us here to run for his glory. And the prize that we're after is not the gold of this world. It is the glory of God. And here's what Paul was saying. When you get your eyes on the prize and you have that one goal every day, I'm going to know God. I'm going to give God glory. I promise you this will be true. Every other piece of the puzzle of your life will fall into so I urge you, my wonderful brothers and sisters that I love as a shepherd loves his sheep, life is too precious. It's too short. It is too brief to get the, to the end of your life. And you're kind of like Rocky. And I've been there, and I ran those steps, and I did that deal. And you get to the top of the steps and you're jumping and you got your hands and you say, I made it to the top of the ladder. Only to realize too late it was leaning against the wrong wall. Keep your eyes on the prize. Let's pray together. With heads bowed, with eyes closed, I just want to ask one simple question. Your life is a race. And listen to me carefully. You're either on the, run on the wrong track, running in the wrong direction, headed for the wrong goal, or you're not. And I'm going to say this. If you're not on the Jesus track, you're not running in the Jesus direction. You're not running for the Jesus goal. 
Your life is a waste. I don't care what kind of house you live in, what kind of a car you drive, how much money you make. It is a waste. The good news is God has a plan to make sure you don't waste your life. God has a plan for you to keep your eyes on the prize. And it begins by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, just like Michael did before our first service. So here's my question to you. Who among you today, at either one of our campuses, who would say this? Who among you today would say, Pastor, I don't want to waste another second. I don't want to run in the wrong direction another minute. I want to start running in the right direction. Then take that first step of giving your life to Christ. Just say something like this to Jesus right now. Just say something like this. Lord Jesus, you put me on this world, in this world, to run your race. Today, I'm on the track. Today, I'm in the game. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. You are that Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. Today, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Today, I ask you to save me. Today, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Thank you for hearing my prayer. As I repent of my sins and turn away from them, thank you for coming into my heart. Now, Lord, give me the power to know you and to live for your glory the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to do something real easy. You were given a card when you walked in a little worship guide. On the bottom of that card, there's a tear-off called Connection Cards. You can't miss it. I want you to take that card right now. Tear it off. Do it right now. If you prayed this prayer with me, Sign your name to that card. Fill it out. Give us some contact information, address, email, cell phone. There's a box that says, Today I pray to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Check off that box right now. If you meant it, check off that box right now. Now, if you checked off the first one, you want to go ahead and check off the second one. I want to be biblically baptized. You know why? If your eyes on the prize, you want to let people know you found it. The way you do this, by being baptized, I'm going to ask you to check off the second box. By the way, you may say, I don't need to accept Christ. I've already done that, but you've not been biblically baptized. No, I've not done that. You need to be biblically baptized. I'm going to ask you to check off that second box. I want to be biblically baptized. It may be you've been looking for a church home. You say, man, I want to be a part of this church. This is where I need to be. This is where God wants me to be. Check off the third box. I want to get started in the starting, in the starting point process. Check off the third box. Then here's what I want you to do. At either one of our campuses, you just simply go to the lobby. out. To, there'll be a table there. You cannot miss it. It says connection point. Take that card. Hand it to someone. That's all you need to do. They'll take it from there. If you're a guest of ours, we have a gift we want to give you just for being here. If you need to talk to a pastor... We have pastors out in the lobby. We'll be glad to talk to you. So who's your one? Who's that one person that you know? Their life is a waste. Their eyes are on the wrong prize. They don't even know what, they don't even know where the right prize, they don't even know where the finish line is. You need to tell them. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you how your word speaks to me week in and week out. I want to thank you that you showed me as a nine-year-old boy. This is where the prize is, James. 
This is where the finish line is. And Lord, as long as I have breath in me physically, let me run that race and let me hit that line. And I pray that for my people in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen.